invitation and the opportunity to be here today. All right, we on? All right, good, thank you. You never know with the media what's going to happen. I think it was J. Vernon McGee that said when the devil fell, he landed in the choir loft. And then he rolled down into the nursery. But I'm convinced that he made his permanent abode in the media booth. Now, ultimately, that was my fault, but I like to blame that booth back there. So, 1 Kings chapter 19, if you'll look there, Good Shepherd Baptist Church, can I say thank you to you as well for all the hard work that you've put into having this meeting? We do a meeting in August. I know what it takes to put on a meeting like this and to facilitate it, the food, and everything has been excellent, the room. So thank you for that. I appreciate it very much. 1 Kings 19, we'll get right into our lesson here this morning. How many of you did not get a handout? Would you hold your hand up? I know Andrew's back there. Hold it up high if you would. Hold it up. They've got it. One, two, three, four, about five of you. Ushers, you guys have done great. Keep it up. Keep your hand up, and they'll bring that to you. I encourage you to use this as we go along our message here today. It will look daunting. When you see the notes, you'll thinking, is this two sessions? No. We will be right on time, and we'll go quickly. Through this. Now, for Pastor Skelly, this would be a 10 week series. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a compliment. I mean, he can extrapolate a lot out of each one of these, and so uh, I, I mean it. It's a blessing. So, but everybody's different. That's the body, the body of Christ differing. 1 Kings 19, notice if you would, verse number one here, the Bible says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal, how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose, and he went for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life for I am not better than my father's. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time and opportunity uh, to fellowship again together around your word. Please give us wisdom. Give us insight into the scriptures. And I pray that the things that you laid on my heart uh, would be a help and an encouragement to the folks that are here today. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. And amen. Years ago, my family and I were traveling to a preaching conference in Montana. And I was in uh, full drive mode, full drive mode. And uh, I, on this particular trip, I had a very tight schedule, and I noticed that, that my tank was getting very low. And I, I looked at it on the little gauge there, and it said, it said four miles until empty. And I thought, man, I need to get gas. And so I keep on driving. I'm talking to my family. I've got uh, Rebecca was in the car. Micah was there. Mary was there. We're driving along. And, and I kept talking and I realized I passed the exit. And my son, Mike, is like, Dad, what are you doing? And I, 
so mad at myself. I couldn't believe that I did it. And so I was like, what do I do? Do I stop? Do I back up? Do I go off the uh, intersect? What do I do? And so I had no choice. And so I just kept going. And I coasted to the exit. And when I pulled into, and I saw it got down to one when I was coasting, and I pulled in and I looked down and it said zero right when I got into the gas station. You say, well, how did you get there? I was literally running on fumes. And I say that to say, in my observation, in, in some 20 years in the ministry, uh, I see many people simply running on fumes. And their tank is very empty. How many of you know what it's like to, to run on fumes? <laughs> To live your life a little bit on empty. You're just kind of tapped out and you're drained. And uh, we live in a day and age where many people are simply living their lives on empty. And that can be from work or family or church or social life or financial pressures and so many different things that come our way. And I'll, I'll say this to, to the church family this morning, that we cannot afford, if we want to be effective for the Lord, to be living on empty. And if we're not careful, we'll do just that. For those in the ministry, uh, we know that that can be very hard, okay? Because you get you know, so much pulled out of you in the ministry. But I want to just digress for, for a moment and, and say something about folks that aren't in the what we call the full-time ministry. By the way, as a little parenthetical here, if you're saved, you're in the ministry. Everybody's in the ministry. But for folks that are in the full-time ministry and, and preaching and teaching and weddings and funerals and counseling and travel and all that stuff, yeah, it can, it can pull a lot out of you. I, I understand that. But let, let's be real. So can other jobs. People, whether you're a carpenter or you're an executive or whatever, many jobs can, can pull a lot out of you as well. It's not just pastors and those in the full-time ministry that are, uh, can be drained or empty, if you will. And so in our area where I live, I mentioned this on Sunday, uh, there are many Boeing, Boeing executives uh, in our backyard is Boeing and Microsoft and Amazon and, and a lot of these companies. Well, there's a lot of Boeing executives and Amazon executives and Microsoft executives and leaders in their respective areas. And guess what they have? They, many of them have pressure and deadlines and bosses and a lot of pressure that come uh, their way as well. And so I'm cognizant of that. And I think I'd be remiss if I didn't say it. A lot of jobs have pressure as well. Somebody said years ago, they said, they said well, you know, uh, preaching a one-hour message is like digging a ditch for eight hours. I'm like, whoever said that never dug a ditch for eight hours. There's a book titled Leading on Empty. And in that book, the author of the book gives an analogy. Uh, he gives the analogy, and ladies, forgive the analogy. I didn't write it. But he, he gives the analogy. He says, you know, many times for a pastor, when you are preparing messages and, and you become pregnant with the text and it's inside of you and you're meditating on it and through the week you're in birth, birth pains. And then on Sunday, he says, you get up on Sunday and then you deliver. He says, the difference is, he said, on Monday, you realize you're pregnant again. <laughs> and Brother Dean, I've been thinking about that, and, and it's so weird because there's so many Mondays I wake up, man, where I'm not pregnant. <laughs> and then it's Wednesday, and my secretary's like, do you have your notes? I'm like, I'm not pregnant, you know? <laughs> and by Friday, I'm adopting. I'm like, is that a... 
read that Warren Wearsby book, and I was just looking at that. That's good. Folks, listen, we cannot afford to be trying to lead our homes, our churches, while we are empty. Today, we're going to look at Elijah and learn some things about, really about burnout. And I want you to look at chapter 18, just glance there if you would, and chapter 19, we'll kind of touch on that again. But the interesting thing about the story in chapter 19 is that it all started back in chapter 18. Israel was being led by a wicked king and his wife Jezebel, and the nation had fallen into moral bankruptcy. And Elijah just gets fed up with all the idolatry, and you know he issues this challenge. You see that in chapter 18, and as you know, God shows himself strong. Now the people are amazed and and they begin to worship God. And there's a great spiritual revival that takes place. But of course, with every mountain top, there's a valley. We go from this great victory to utter discouragement and defeat. Jezebel hears about this and and, uh, she's livid. And she makes it clear to Elijah, I'm coming after you. So this is where I want us to focus on. What happened to Elijah? How did he he respond to the pressure? And more importantly today, in this session here, how do you and I respond to the pressure when it comes our way? What are some indications of you sitting here this morning that your tank might just be a little bit low? Notice in your notes, if you would, and we'll go through these quickly, as I mentioned. A first sign is, is that you allow fear to consume you. Look at verse 2 in, in 1 Kings 19. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Let me ask you a question. What happened to his great faith? Why would this woman put such fear in him? And after what just took place, especially, and may I submit to you today, when fear comes into your life, it is an indication that your emotional and your spiritual tank is is low. It's empty. Pastor Miller preached a great message last night on this exact thing. Think about what happened in chapter 18. Here's this guy. Here's Elijah. He's bold. He's confident. He's got no fear at all. The righteous, the Bible says, are as bold as a lion. You ever notice that there's times where you just feel a little bit more bold? You're confident, and you might be walking through the grocery store, and you're handing out tracts, and you're talking to people about the Lord, and you're asking them if they're saved, and And the next time, and whatever's going on, your tank's a little bit low, you're going through the grocery store and you're kind of looking for the self-checkout. Like, I don't really want to, I don't know if they have those here, but uh, I don't really want to talk to anybody. And sometimes you're just so drained and you're so tapped out and fear grips you. The next thing you notice with Elijah here is you see him afraid. The fear of man bringeth a snare. Things you may normally handle are much harder when you're empty. Let me say that again so it resonates with you. Things that you would normally handle, right, are much harder when the tank is a little bit lower. It's much harder. 
Elijah was so drained from chapter 18, he starts living in fear. This is the same Elijah that just slew 450 prophets of Baal. Now he's living in fear. Fear brings torment. It's a clear sign. He's empty. Notice, uh, secondly, you start to avoid responsibilities. Look at verse 3. And when he saw that, when he saw that, he arose, and it says, he went for his life. <laughs> Folks, it wasn't like he didn't have responsibility. This is Elijah. And I find myself, I don't know about you, but sometimes when the tank's a little bit low, I, I'm running from the things that I'm supposed to be doing and I'm supposed to be acting upon, but I'm so drained and I'm a little bit low emotionally and mentally and physically. And notice what it says, Elijah ran for his life. You ever find yourself running from responsibility? Maybe you're running from something this morning. Some people are so empty, they simply avoid all responsibilities. It might be a marriage problem that needs to be resolved. It might be a bill that needs to be confronted. It might be a health issue that you have that you're just leaving unattended and say, eventually I'll get to that. I know I need to get that checked out, but you don't even have it in you to go and to do it. Maybe a child that needs guidance, but you don't even have it in you to deal with the situation. It might be a church problem to a pastor that, that it's an issue you're trying to block out and hoping that it will just go away because you don't have it in you to be able to deal with the problem. It's a sign you're running on fumes. Thirdly, notice, the next thing you see is that you start pulling away from relationships. Would you look at verse 3 again? And, it, and he came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah. Watch this. And he left his servant there. It says he left him. He left him in Beersheba. This is a guy that he's been with for a long time. He's just walking away from him. This gives us some insight into where Elijah was at. He, he's done. Have you ever caught yourself doing that? maybe neglecting some of the people around you. Sometimes when you get so low, you neglect the people or shy away from the people that can probably help you most. Some people, even with God, they won't even go to the Lord. Literally, at, at that time, they need God the most. They neglect the one that could help them. That's a telltale sign you need to refuel. By the way, I'm going to share a little bit of that uh, at the end. Uh, notice this next thought here, if you would. A sign that you're living on empty is this. You start making foolish decisions impulsively. Impulsively. Look at verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. So here's this guy. He, he starts, he walking a full day into the desert. Might not be one of the best decisions that he ever made. He's headed in the wrong direction. He has no plan. There's no indication that he has any water with him. He's so drained and empty. He's making a foolish decision. He's doing it impulsively. You say, well, how do you know that when your tank gets so low, you start making poor decisions? How do you know that? Because I've done it before. I've done it. We, we, uh, 
we did a, 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 a second remodel on our sanctuary. We increased the seating capacity to 600. By the way, just before COVID, great timing to have it all ready to go, just to prepare for the crowds. It was so funny. In our area, and we are in, a, as Pastor Miller mentioned as well, we're even in a more liberal area, even farther on. We call it the left coast, uh, Washington, Oregon, and California. And, you know, we had many good families, good families that during that time and just the way our governors and what's going on in the state, they just, we love you, Pastor, but we're moving to Idaho or Texas or, you know. And I just remember thinking as good families who we love just ended up moving and kind of feeling that. I, I'd get up on a Sunday night kind of jokingly and I'd say, you know, uh, the Bible says none of these things move me, right? <laughs> well, that didn't work. Then I got up and I said, well, the Bible says whatsoever state I'm in, let us therewith be content. That didn't work either. And so, so we had this building project. It was about a million dollar project to gut it, put in the seating, did some screens, did some different stuff. And uh, we finished, uh, we were just about finished that. I had, ma- I had made so many decisions by that point and a lot of other stuff going on. I was just tapped out. And I remember that one of the guys come to me, he goes, okay, Pastor, well, we're putting in the light switches here, and uh, I just want to know, what, you know which ones you want or maybe where you want them. And, and uh, I remember just saying, you know what, I don't, it doesn't matter. I mean, you're going to flip the lights on. Just choose the ones you want and put them where you want. And then, and I was just tapped. I was just done. Now, every time I go into the sanctuary to turn the lights on, I hate the, the things they bought, and it's in the total wrong spot. And now that's kind of a microcosm of what I'm talking about when you're just so, you make foolish decisions impulsively because you're just so drained and you're tapped out. But then notice, if you would, number five, you start pushing yourself, don't miss this, past your physical limits. Look at verse five. 1 Kings 19, verse five. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree. From what it looks like, he just kept walking and walking into the desert until eventually he just collapsed. Your body can only take so much. Mentally, physically, emotionally, it can only take so much. People say, well, you know, that's psychobabble. Tell that to the guy who left his family for some other woman and woke up three months later and realized what he did. Because he was so tapped up, he made a poor decision, he was so drained. If you're living your life on empty, listen, it's not a trivial matter. I hear guys say all the time, well, bless God, I'm going to take, take a break, and they never do. I'll rest in the millennium, and things like that. It's not a trivial matter. It's a, it's a, the Sabbath, even though we're not under the law, is a principle. And I started wondering, I told Pastor Skelly, I had a totally different message planned this morning. And, um, and he goes, well, I know that it must have been the Lord because you never change your messages. And I don't. I get a message, Pastor Mansour, and it's like, I got this one. This is the one I'm doing. I'm not, Pastor Skelly had to step out. He had to take a call, but I'm not, you know, he's got a napkin extemporaneously. All, we, we, we don't like him very much, right? No. <laughs> We're all just jealous, right? But I will say this. 
It's not a trivial matter. You, you have to take a break. You have to rest. And I realize, well, who's this message for and why did you have me change this? And I started reading it again as I looking at the text. I said, maybe it's for me, physician, heal thyself. I've heard people say, you know, they're going to take a break, but they never do. God is showing us something in the life of Elijah. Can I say this this morning, church? We would do very well to heed and to listen to. Notice, if you would, in verse 10, another sign. You'll see it in your notes. You feel like it's where it gets a little bit close to home. You start feeling like you're making no impact. Look at verse 10. And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel forsaken thy covenant and throw down thine altars and, and slain thy prophets with the sword. Listen, this is a clear sign that you need to refuel. Notice what he says, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. Basically, he's saying, I've served you and look at the results. The children of Israel, they've forsaken thy covenants. They've thrown down thine altars. In essence, he's saying, nobody's listening to me. And I'll admit, I know pastors, many times you feel that way. You do sometimes. One preacher walked out of the, his service on a Sunday night and he said to his wife, and uh, he said, well, I don't think anybody was listening to me tonight. And she said, it's probably better that they weren't tonight. And I was kind of harsh. <laughs> Thank you. That wasn't Mary, but... <laughs> One other guy walked out, Brother Dean, he walked out and he said, well... Sunday night, he goes, not very many good preachers anymore these days. She said, yeah, and there's one less than you think there is. <laughs> so he felt like nobody's listening. He, he, he felt here like he's not making an impact. And I want to say this to Sunday school teachers and nursery workers and hospitality and hostesses and ushers and media workers and security and assistants and you name it all the way down the line. Sometimes you feel like you're not making an impact, but you are. And the devil will discourage you. As a pastor, it's my responsibility to teach the Word of God, to preach the Word of God, to love people. I'm not, and it's liberating to know and to remember I'm not responsible for how they respond. It, sometimes you have to go back. It's like you can only do so much. It's like, well, I'll get to that in a minute, but it's liberating. Think about what else can you do? You're not responsible for the response. Elijah blamed himself for the things that, that weren't his fault. Look at, look at the text in verse 10. The nation's falling apart. He's taking it perfectly, per, personally. He's saying, basically, I'm a failure. I want to... I told you on Sunday, I don't, I don't do rabbit trails. I do controlled parentheticals. So I'm going to do that here and just pause and say this. One of the greatest causes of burnout is when you try to control everything. It doesn't matter who you are. It might be mom, dad. It might be a pastor. You might it'd be a bit, whatever. You cannot control other people. And it, once you realize that and you do your part and you stand back and you trust God, it is liberating. It's like the rock just rolls off. There's a lot of things that are beyond your control. You're not responsible 
for other people's responses in life, even when it comes to your children. They have a free will. There is no perfect parent. Just do your best. I've watched parents beat themselves up over a wayward child. So this is just the side note here. Parents, if you have, don't do that. Read Isaiah 5, and, 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 and it's a great picture there in the first eight verses. And he finally just says, what else could I do? I planted grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. I've done all the things I could. What else could I do? So you can't control other people. A next, notice if you would, a sign that you are living your life today, you, on empty, is when you consider quitting. Look at verse 4 again, 1 Kings 19, verse 4. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, it's enough. Now, depending on what Monday it is, that's me. I'm just, you know, being transparent. That's probably my biggest struggle in the ministry is many times, Pastor Mansour, I'll sit there and just say, Lord, I mean, I love it. It's a blessing, but the weight of the pastorate, and again, everybody has their own weights. Lord, how much longer do you want me to do? I'll do it, but how much longer? The priests were done at 50, and I just kind of think about different things, and I struggle. Uh, Pastor Hernan on Sunday morning really helped me with something there in Ruth chapter number two. And then the Lord rebukes me as I have my pity party, and, and I'm never... Uh, he rebukes me and he says, okay, so what are you complaining about? Remind me. You've got five acres. Everything's paid for. You have no debt. You have money in the bank. You have a great staff, a church that loves you. What are you complaining about? There's bivocational pastors. There's people that are 10 times harder than you have it. And then I just, and I am rebuked. And I said back, Lord, forgive me. It's a struggle. But sometimes in life, when you're burnt out and you're tapped out and you're drained, you do sometimes feel like quitting. You think about throwing in the towel. Notice what he says. Look real quickly. He says, it is enough. You ever got to that point when your tank is so low, you lose your vision, you forget your goals, you want to give up. You kind of get to the point where it's like you just, you don't want to, but you stop caring a little bit. You don't want that to be the case. Elijah says, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. I'm not making a difference. I'm ready to throw in the towel. It's a sign you're empty. Notice verse 10 again, our next thought. You feel like you're alone. You feel like, this is a sign that you are drained. You're running on fumes. Your tank is low. You start feeling like you're the only one. Notice what he says in verse 10. Look, look at it. Even I only am left? Well, first of all, that's not true, but let's just keep, keep reading. And they seek my life to take it away. He's telling the Lord, I'm the only one left. Notice, notice the phrase Elijah says. He says, I'm only, he's exaggerating the problem. I always do that when I'm empty. I don't know of anybody better in the world of taking something really small, Pastor Hernan, and making it really big. And I hate that about myself, but it could, it, I, it, we use the term 
I don't know if you have it over here, but you, you make a mountain out of a molehill. Do you guys use that term? And that's me. I take something real small and I make it really big. And I wish that wasn't the case. But sometimes when you're totally tapped out and you're drained physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, you, you get to the point where you, you start taking something small and you make it really big. And then you make it worse because you're not, we, we learned on Sunday night about handling situations the right way. But if you're filled with the Spirit of God and you're walking with God and your tank is full and God's given you the wisdom you need to, to function, you do a better job. Notice his response. He starts feeling like he's alone, but that's not true. Do you know what, do you know what God told Elijah when he said, uh, I, I'm, I'm alone? Look at, just glance at verse 18. Watch this. It's kind of funny. He says, I've left 7,000 in Israel. Verse 18. All the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. Now, Elijah is so drained emotionally, his view of reality is distorted. Folks, that's what's going to happen to you and me if we allow it to continue. Your view of reality is distorted. I have watched people make some very bad decisions hastily because their view of reality was distorted. I mean, think about this for just a minute. God just wrought a great victory against 450 uh, false prophets uh, uh, in front of the entire nation. Now one woman with an empty threat is causing him to run and hide in a cave. Think about it. Think about this for a minute. If Jezebel actually intended to kill him, wouldn't she have sent a hitman instead of a messenger to warn him? Hey, I just want you to know that somebody's going to come and do this, would she not have simply sent somebody just to kill him? You know what's going on? He's not thinking straight because he is completely empty. Keep in mind, it was right after a great victory in chapter 18. Notice just a couple more as we begin to wrap up the lesson here. Sign that you are empty as you start comparing yourself with others. Look at verse 4. 19.4, I'm no better than my fathers. The Bible tells us not to compare ourselves with others. When you start comparing yourself with others, the Bible says you're not wise. And I'd say this is kind of an unfortunate thing. I know back in the days that fundamentalism was notorious for this. Pastors would read the sword of the Lord and they'd get discouraged. They'd talk about all the numbers and all the decisions and, and they'd get all discouraged and you know, I'm thinking to myself, we had 10 decisions last Sunday. We had nine people that decided they didn't like the message or nine people that left, whatever, right? And in my opinion, pride entered independent Baptist churches in the 80s and the 70s. And last I checked, God resisteth the proud. You start comparing yourself and, and pride gets in there. I'm going to say one last thought before we go to our last point. I believe, you can disagree with me, God is not confined to using independent Baptist churches. Amen, 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 amen and amen. He's not confined to do that. Well, bless God, don't you know? I know, right? You're independent, King James, fundamental, Bible-believing, premillennial, right? I get it, and so am I. But I know people that may not have all their doctrine 
correct that are far more spiritually than the ones that have dotted every I and crossed every T. That love God. God sees the heart. He says, I'm no better than my father's. When you're empty spiritually, you will depreciate your own self-worth. You put yourself down mentally. Notice the phrase again, I'm no better than... I'm no better than. If Brother Skelly was here, I would let him know that's a comparative phrase. You become your own worst critic. Finally, you feel guilty for not getting it all done, and you just feel hopeless. Lastly, in your notes here, a sign you're living on empty is that you think death would bring relief. You say, does, it, does the Bible really talk about that? Absolutely. Look at verse 4. What does he say? He's so far down, he says these words, O Lord, take away my life. This is what you call the end of the rope. You're so drained, you don't even want to live anymore. May I say to the church this morning that that's what this world system is designed to do. And the God of this world, small g, is designed to drain you, to keep you distracted, to pull you away from God, and to thwart your priorities. Many people have been to this point in their life and they say the exact words, O Lord, take away my life. No doubt many have taken their life out of desperation and a loss of hope. But you know what? God doesn't leave us there and just show us this picture and say, okay, uh, this is Elijah and he did all these great things and now Jezebel's after him and he's so drained and he's, he's completely tapped out. His tank is low. He's empty. Praise God for a loving God that knows exactly what we need to lift us up. And as we close these last, I'm just going to give you kind of the blanks here. Uh, he gives us three ways to refuel your tank. Look, look, if you would, at our first thought here. God tells you to rest your body. Look at verse 5, 1 Kings 19. As he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. He looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals. And a cruise of water in his head, and he, and he did eat, and, and he laid down again. And the angel Lord came again, a second time, touched him, said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. Church, sometimes God has to make you lie down because you're not smart enough to do it yourself. And that's what he did. He's going to force you to actually, physically recharge your body. You can't be spiritually and emotionally strong while you're physically depleted. God is so practical that the antidote for Elijah's burnout was I want you to uh, go to bed. I want you to get up and eat some food. And then when you're done, I want you to go to bed again. God's so practical, that was the antidote for Elijah. Rest your body. I want you to notice, next he says, I want you to open up to me. Verse 8, God admonishes him to open up. Verse 8, he arose, he did eat, went in the strength of meat 40 days, 40 nights. 
came to the cave, lodged there. Behold, here it is. The word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? Can I just say this this morning? Whenever God asks you a question, he already knows the answer. He already knows. When God said that, what are you doing here? God already knew what he was doing here. But he, was, he wanted Elijah to own up and to explain to him why he was there. He's encouraging Elijah to blow off some steam and to open up. He wanted him to vent his frustrations. You know what he did? In verse 3, he did. He, he vented his fear. Verse number 10, he vents his anger. Verse 4, he vents his resentment. Verse number uh, 10, he talks about how lonely he is. And then in verse number uh, 4, his low self-esteem. And then his worry in verse 10. God wants that. You know what God wants? God wants for you and I today to cast all our care upon him because he cares for you. That's what he wants. And then lastly, we see that God spoke to him in a still, small voice. Pastor Hernan mentioned this this morning. Look at verse 11. And he said, Go, first, stand, go forth, stand up on, on top of the mountain. Behold, the Lord passed by, a great strong wind. Rent the mountains, break it in pieces before the Lord. And the Lord was not in the wind, but after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, still, small voice. God says, I want you to get alone with me because there's something I want you to see. God puts on a show for Elijah. You see here the wind, the fire, the earthquake. God's saying, you're worried about one woman who's threatened your life? I'm in control. You can totally relax. You don't need to worry. May I say to folks here today, God is in control. He is sovereign. He's in control of everything. He's in control of your church. He's in control of your life. He's in control of your kids. He's in control of your marriage. He's in control of your government. He's, he's sovereign. He's in control of everything. God is so good. He told him, I want you to rest. I want you to eat. I want you to sleep. I want you to do these things. And then I won't get into it today, but he gives him another assignment as you start going later in the chapter. God's not done with Elijah. He gives him something else to do. If we really learn to trust him and stay connected to him, and here's the message, you won't live your life on empty, but you'll be filled with the Spirit of God. And God can use you just where you are. Now, I don't know who this message was for here this morning. I know that God laid it on my heart, and, and I felt like this was what I needed to give. And so I'm praying that if you came to this conference, maybe you had kind of, maybe you got to the point where you considered everything you were doing really isn't making a difference. Maybe you felt a little bit alone. Maybe you started comparing yourself to somebody else. Maybe you're just absolutely drained physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, and you've kind of hit a wall. God gives you the remedy of how to refuel. And God wants to use you. We are living and serving, folks, in the last days. Let's continue for His glory. Father, bless your word this morning. We thank you so much for your goodness to us. And 
And again, giving us a book that tells us everything we need to know. And I pray that you'll take this message, this simple thought today, and use it for your honor and for your glory. For it's in Christ's name we pray, and amen.